Hi, this is Baruch Lurie, and this is the Baruch Lurie Podcast with me and my friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. And a little shout out to our law firm, Lurie & Associates. We uh, do real estate and business litigation, and we like it. We like our clients. We uh, like to strategize. We, that's our thing. And I think we, uh, we do it differently here at the, uh, the law firm. We think in terms of chess. And um, we position ourselves in the best way possible for our clients. And, and I, you know, I've got to tell you, Ari, one of the things that informs me in my life has been chess. And it's, it's been a really big theme in my life since I was, I think, eight years old or so. And why do I bring up chess? Because it has shaped my thinking. And I, I honestly think it, it has shaped my political ideology as well. Because in chess, it teaches you about consequences, Consequences are essential in understanding uh, the world around you, and I think that as soon as uh, Dennis Prager says it, as soon as you start talking about consequences, you're already on the road to being a conservative. And it's impossible me for me. I, it, it's just so hardwired for me as a lawyer in the way I, I practice law to not proceed with an understanding of what if if I move this chess piece, this is what's going to happen. And what are the overall ramifications? What things matter in terms of my moves and what things don't matter in terms of my moves? And it's, um, yes, there's a lot of experience to it, uh, but you cannot, uh, you know, you can gain a lot of wisdom through experience. There's no doubt about it. But chess really helps you along, i got to tell you. And that's, that's what's helped us in, in our uh, practice of, of the, the law firm. And we also have this, uh, and, and I think, frankly, it's shaped us in the way that we pursue our own conservatism, isn't it, Ari? I mean, you think about it. You, yeah. <laughs> Everything that we've spoken about in these podcasts, and also for that matter in my Sunday show, we, we talk about the consequences of this or that policy, right? I mean, just throwing it out of the air, the minimum wage, for example, it sounds so nice, but and then you think about the consequences of it and how devastating it will actually be to the employers and therefore to the employees and therefore to the economy itself. Uh, you think about affirmative action and those consequences. You think about the consequences of, I don't know, I'm going to invent something crazy right now, I don't know, being involved in a war in the Middle East and then uh, pulling out all your troops. I, I know that would never happen, that no, no president would be so stupid as to do that because surely that would be devastating. But just imagine that scenario if you could. Uh, that if our president, President Obama, were to uh, pull out every single man from Iraq um, and then expect nothing to happen, you'd say that that's a very silly and, and foolish thing. Uh, there would be consequences to that, wouldn't you say? What, what, what you're saying that that happened? That actually happened? All right. Okay, you say sorry. No, I didn't say so. <laughs> I've always told you he's aware of those consequences, and it was intentional. Oh, I see. All right. Well, but that's, and plus, that's, I always said, he didn't do it because he was stupid. He did it because he wanted it to happen. I think Ari's ruining my flow right here. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, look, your, your point is actually a very valid point. I mean, it's, it's, it's not um, impossible to think of this president doing things in an intentional, deliberative manner. That all that he's doing, because as I've said, uh, that everything he's doing is consistent with somebody who would be doing this in a deliberate, intentional manner. But regardless, the consequences of pulling every man out of Iraq um, is, uh, is, is very, very devastating. And that's what we're seeing now with ISIS. 
Um, you know, and I think you give him too much credit sometimes um, in terms of his intentions because I, I just think he's he's just not bright. I think he really thought uh, it was no big deal, and, and I'll tell you why because he, so many things he does, he just he has no idea. He he, he doesn't. What is what did, what did he say about the pulling out of uh, about ISIS? He said they underestimated ISIS, right? They also underestimated the, the stupidity of Obamacare and the website, for example. They underestimated Benghazi and the, the uh, attack on Benghazi. They underestimated everything. You know, we can go on and on about this. This is a theme that I was talking about on my Sunday show. Underestimation is, seems to be the name of the game with him. I think that Obama pulled out of Iraq because he wanted to stick it to Bush. I think he, he made a campaign promise. And uh, he, he's just, he just hates Bush so much. And you saw it when, he was, uh, when there was the changing of the guard, so to speak, during the inauguration in January of uh, 2009. And the, the look of contempt that Obama had toward Bush, he was going to show him what for. And, uh, and that's what pulling out of Iraq was all about. And that's what pulling out of Afghanistan will be all about. But that's another story. And, and how, by the way, Obama can pull out of Afghanistan now, knowing the devastation of ISIS and the consequences of ISIS. You know what? You will definitely get me to say that he's doing it intentionally. If, if he pulls out of Afghanistan now without a single man left, you, you will have me on board. The smart war. It was the smart war, remember? <laughs> that's right. It was, the, it was the, the, the good war. Yeah, the smart war. Good war, smart war. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I remember that very well. Um, anyway, I want to talk about a, a much more uh, kind of an interesting topic that, that I touched upon briefly in my Sunday show. I just came back from France and Israel. And I only realized in Israel that it would be a great topic to talk about on a podcast. These are two countries that are so wildly different from each other, right? France is a country that is essentially losing its population, Losing at least French people, um, and there's an influx of immigrants, mostly from Arab countries, and unemployment is soaring through the the roof. Um, socialist policies are taking root, and of course, having devastating consequences in the process. And uh, uh, no one's happy there. It's just, and it's a strange country too. It, it's uh, it's a country that, as I said on my show, it's it's. Uh, you could call it the, the the land that time forgot, but it's really more like the the land where people just don't look at the time. They they, they they love their past so much. They want to keep their past so much. What with the baguettes and the you know the croque messieurs and the and uh, the Eiffel Tower and the, the certain dressing and and everything that they they, they want to keep it just so. Okay. So. And every wait hold on everything is a threat to their culture. The English language in particular is, uh, rock and roll music is, uh, all the the, the the clothing from America, the food from America. It's very hard to find a Starbucks. I was going to say gluten-free vegetarians like yourself, enormous <laughs> threat. And you expected to feel comfortable there? I'm not gluten-free. I am almost vegan. <laughs> now you read my flow. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> Jacuz. But, but seriously, if you go to France, there, there are Starbucks, but they're few and far between. And I'm not saying that's, that's the, the, that somehow France has an obligation to do it. But I am saying that France clearly has hostility toward free market enterprise. And uh, they are threatened by Starbucks. 
Likewise with McDonald's. I'm not a fan of McDonald's, obviously, right? But nevertheless, I understand that McDonald's is a free market system, and they don't want McDonald's there. So you see very few McDonald's there as well. And it's just a symptom of a much larger disease where the, it's as if they, I think they would love a Berlin Wall around Paris. That's what they would love, right? Because that way they can keep out the, that, those nasty American culture uh, uh, people and, uh, and for, for that matter, anything that's not French, and they can keep their nice cloistered wall, um, their cloistered culture there. And you can call it a Great Wall of uh, France if you want. But it's a very strange place. And, and as a consequence, they're losing people that can actually help the culture. They're taxing their own citizens wildly. And then they're surprised that people leave. I mean, this, is, this, is the, this is the thing I just can't wrap my mind around. I, just, I don't understand how somebody who is liberal can, can appreciate this, the consequences of their own beliefs. What is it that you can't understand when you, when you impose such crazy socialist beliefs and, and you, you see time and time again they, they just don't work? And yet, in other words, if for you to believe that these policies work, you must be either six years old or you, you've just put your head in the sand the entire time and have never read a newspaper or never asked yourself, what are the consequences of your beliefs? That, that's the only way it could work for you. Because, I mean, they just had a, a, a New York Times article. Yeah, I read the New York Times the other day. My eyes gazed upon it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I did. Actually, we should read these articles because they're just so bizarre. Well, everyone has to read something funny once in a while. <laughs> That's right. I thought it was the comic section of the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> well, I want to make you laugh. I send you some Krugman. <laughs> That's right. There you go. But, but I read this, and, and this was news. This was, this was the news article that was presenting. Not an opinion piece. What I'm about to say is not an opinion piece. It was a news article about Angela Merkel, the uh, chancellor of Germany, and how she is confronted with a very difficult uh, uh, conundrum because the economy is, is not roaring as she wants it to, and she's, uh, it's, it's really kind of – there are some, some struggles with the economy. And – she needs to, uh, you know, she she needs to consider the possibility of a stimulus in order to get the economy roaring again. And she's just holding back. You understand, holding back from doing what would help the economy. Okay. Now, lost in all that, of course, is the assumption that a stimulus would help the economy, right? I mean, it, we, we know for a fact that no stimulus has ever worked for any country ever in the history of mankind. Uh, there is a, maybe perhaps a history of some other species on another planet in some other galaxy that it's worked. But on this planet, among this species called mankind, and uh, in, in this, this history of ours, it has never worked before. But it's, it was just so funny how the, the assumption was that, that she was holding back from engaging the stimulation, the stimulus to, to, to let the economy breathe as it should. If only she let this happen, because government, you know, is responsible for the economy. <sighs> anyway, that's, uh, I, I digress, I guess. But it, it was just a very bizarre uh, attitude in the New York Times, but that's what you have with the New York Times. It, it just infects the, their, the reporting of the news in a way that you can't even notice right away. It's just, but it's in there. It's, it's within the language. And, and poor Angela Merkel, you know, <laughs> you, you wonder what. 
if it works so well, then why isn't she engaging the stimulus, right? Perhaps the reason why she knows that a stimulus doesn't work. Anyway, that's, that's France uh, and, and to some extent Germany for you. But France, what an incredibly backward country. They can't even say email. Do you know that? They, they, the, the, the government will be all over you as a journalist if you write in your newspaper email, referring to emails. You have to call it post électronique. Okay? And, it, and they, they just surrendered to the notion of le weekend, by the way. They, they had to give up on that. It used to be fin de la semaine, which means end of the week. But um, it's, a, it's a bizarre culture. They don't like innovation. They want things to be just as they are. And on my Sunday show, I, I gave the comparison. What if we were to be just like France in, in terms of our desire to keep our culture? It's as if we would want to keep only the hula hoop, right, to, to somehow lev- elevate the hula hoop, which was once popular, to, um, to, to elevate LPs, and we should never get rid of LPs and, and eight-track tapes. And I mean, think, think of any of the, those things that were going on around at the time in the 50s and the 60s, and that's what would be the height of culture. Well, you know, things change. They you have to change. The most mind-blowing part of it, though? Yeah, please. The most mind-blowing part of it is this. If they were a country in an economic system based entirely on laissez-faire... French word, right? Free market economics, clinging to the past technologies and traditions, and especially culinary culture, would work beautifully, because they would not overtax or overregulate the people producing such things as la baguette, la croissant, la vin. But instead, the very best would get notoriety and sell it like crazy. Yeah, sure, of and, course. And it would be a destination where everyone would flock around the world for a taste of something you can't get anymore that is a wonderful traditional thing. But when you couple that kind of austerity attitude towards the products and services you want to cling to, but then layer upon it the regulatory burdens of socialist state policy and economics, then you lose both. You do. It's um, uh, To your point, in fact, if you go to France... You'll be really kind of flummoxed, shocked by something that you'll notice fairly quickly on your first day there, which is the restaurants are virtually identical to each other. It's as if you go in a restaurant and, and every, every menu has a croque monsieur, which is a ham and cheese sandwich. It's their, one of their specialties. There's a baguette. The coffee is the same. I mean, they're, they're selling all the same things. French roast. L'onion glatiné, onion soup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got it. Soul. You've got it, and, and you ask for anything that's unique. Like, you know, I'm, I'm vegan, as you know, so I, I would, you know, I would prefer something without the meat. I would, you know, please don't have any butter on this. Uh, you know, that's my particular right. But, but here in, in America, you know, that whatever the customer says, he's right. And and there's such fantastic restaurants here in L.A. and New York, all over the big cities. French right? restaurants. And even the French restaurants are fantastic, right? Yeah. So, and without the attitude either. And they really want to serve. And uh, but, but over there, it's just such an unpleasant experience. It's bizarrely expensive. Bizarre. And they don't want to serve you. They have such contempt for you. Not, I speak French. I mean, I'm, I'm, people think I'm French when I speak French. So it's, it's not even that issue. It's, it's, uh, they're contemptuous of everyone. They resent that you make them work, that, that you should come to their table, to, to your table, and take your order. 
Who are you to make them work? That's the, they, they're so disgusted with you. And then they wonder why people just have this, this disdain for French culture. It's, it's uh, I, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's just, and then they're, they're anti-Semitic. Um, the unemployment is through the roof. It's it's uh, the the ninety percent of uh, investment has sorry investment has gone down ninety percent in the past ten years and and uh, nothing is coming out of France. So surprised everyone's so surprised but they still have you know the Eiffel Tower that's nice to look at uh, the women look nice um, you know I, I but but things are changing it's it's the streets are dirtier I've noticed I've been to France many times and I can tell you that. The, the streets are dirtier. They, they, the people seem to be taking care of themselves less and less. It's that the, even the fashion is not what it used to be. If you're into fashion, um, it's, it's, it, people don't smile. It's just it's just not there. It's like a woman or a man who've been dating for many years, and now they're at the point of just being, "Well, I'm over it. I'm done making an effort. Yeah. I'm not going to bathe anymore. I'm not going to brush my teeth." That's anymore. right. It's That's a, what the cities that look like. That the people have developed that attitude. The country as a whole just keeps on mandating law after law after bizarre law. And they, uh, and they, they think that people will just, you know, take it. And they don't even – and so, it's so sad. You know what's really sad is they, they have no idea of how it might be otherwise. That's how culturally cloistered they've been all their lives. And they go out to the big world called America or almost any other country, almost any other country. And they see what, what freedom means, and the, the real freedom to, to talk your mind, to, to 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 try an idea, and then and to open up your own shop. I mean, how exciting is that? They just have no idea. Anyway, so I go I go to to Israel shortly after that, and what a difference! Israel here's this country that is just burgeoning with opportunity and inviting in investors and innovation and uh, free market capitalism is just the name of the day out there how can they help you that they're i mean it's just it's just wonderful to see and it's more and more capitalist it's more and more opening of its doors and it's got this perfect combination of culture on the one hand they're not afraid of losing their culture that's the beauty of it they're they don't feel they have to mandate their culture i i love that about that about israel and uh, Israelis speak English very well, far better than any Frenchman I've ever heard. They, they speak English not only beautifully, but with an American uh, flavor. They, they, they know the American uh, phraseology. So, for example, they'll say we're on vacation, not on holiday, right? Um, and they, they really, they, they have no fear of your culture. They, they embrace your culture. They want to learn about you at the same time. They, they've... They travel all over the world, and they come back, and they love Israel. And and still they have the hummus and the falafel and everything else. But no one's mandating anything. And the food is fan-friggin' fantastic. Um, the, 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 the innovations are incredible. Uh, from the medical field, from the, the, the technological field, to the arts and to the music. I mean, this is a country that's just exploding with new ideas. Um, and it's it's exciting to be there. Tel Aviv doesn't sleep. That city is just wildly fun. Cafes are open all night long. Um, I, I just can't speak more highly of Israel. It's uh, I, I really had a great time. And and every time I go there, I go there on the average every two years or so. 
you know, the people are having more fun. The, the, the roads are better. The uh, buildings, there's more and more building going on. That they, they have these, this fantastic safari and zoo that, that's just so ideal. I wish, I wish L.A. Would, would emulate it. It's such a beautiful zoo. Um, they have a, uh, a great new train system that, that's working really well. Uh, metro system that actually makes sense in, in Jerusalem. Uh, I, I could not enjoy myself more than I, than I did. And, and, and all the while, it's very safe. It's incredibly safe. You feel far more safe in Israel than anywhere in America. Anywhere. Kids, uh, you know, ride their bikes um, all over the place. People don't feel the need to lock their homes. Um, you're not going to have pickpocketing. Uh, women feel safe on the streets. It's an incredible place. And, and why is this happening? What's, what explains the difference, right? That, that's where I guess I'm getting to. Is it because the, the Israelis are better people? Is it because they're Jewish? Uh, no, nothing like that at all. Here's why. It's because it is, it is embraced free market capitalism. It has enjoyed um, investment. It has enjoyed a low, uh, lower tax environment. It's getting better and better every year. It could, it could do better, of course, in that department. And, um, and it's not afraid. You know, that's, that's, that's really the bottom line. And all the while, you, know, have, you have a country that's so cohesive, that loves their traditions. Uh, they love um, the Jewish holidays. They love uh, everything that, that makes them together. It keeps them... It keeps them as one people, and they're okay with that. They like that, and it's assumed that people um, are going to respect Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. These are Jewish holidays, right? Passover, Hanukkah, even Sukkot. It's it's and, and you know Israeli Independence Day. These are the things that bind. But you don't have that in France. You don't, and you're having that to, to a lesser extent. In America, you you know, we, we still have July 4th. That's nice. But even today, July 4th, people don't kind of rally around it. People think of July 4th as, as a day where you eat a lot of hot dogs and you don't have to go to work. Okay. Yeah, it's nice. It's fun. But in Israel, they, they, they really celebrate their day they, of what it means. And it creates a cohesiveness that you just don't see in many other countries. And so these are the distinctions that we're that we see in Israel, you know. And and Ari offline had brought up a very good top a topic or point about this. Is it really, you know? I'm a big fan of free market capitalization, capitalism, as you know, very big fan. And I do think it is such a great solution to so many problems. Um, and certainly, government is never the answer. It's just never the answer. It's only a necessary evil at best. And uh, good for the military, good for the police, good for the court system, and uh, you know, fire, firemen and such, um, and maybe for infrastructure and highways and such. And, and even then, I, I wonder whether or not there might be some better free market enterprise uh, concepts to replace those. But is it possible that instead of that being the appropriate solution, that maybe the answer? And this is Ari's point, and it's a point that's well taken, and I'll, and I'll kind of circle back to something that's maybe a larger picture to this. Ari's point is this. 
is it possible that um, it's more of a spiritual thing? Um, when you're talking about France and Israel, one of the distinctions is precisely that Israel's a, you know, the, it's a very religious country. It's, it's a country of Jews. It's, it's based upon Judaism. Uh, God is a very big part of Israel, right? And, and Israel's thriving. Now, we don't know whether that's thriving as a result of its love of God, but you can definitely see a correlation. There's no doubt about that. Now, France, by contrast, is exactly the opposite. When you think of France, you think of a country that is, is almost godless, right? I mean, it's, it's not as bad as the Soviet Union once was, but nevertheless, it's, it's a socialist country that, that tends to think in very non-religious ways. And very few Christians practice in France. They're, they're a very small group of people. They're very, you go to any church in France, and you'll see very few people. Very, very few people actually attending. And in fact, that's part of the reason why I've, I've always said that Notre Dame in 10 years will, will become a mosque. Because it's not just a, a function of how many Muslims are in France. It's also a function of how the Parisians don't give a crap. Right? I mean, they don't care. They'll say, you want Notre Dame? Fine, take it. No one's using it. It's just a tourist attraction right now. What, what skin it is, is it off of your back, Mr. Frenchman, if some Muslims decide to go inside there and do some prayers? Why, why are you so offended? Right? You're not using it. Don't, you know, it's the highest and best use, as we say in, 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 in the law. So, so these are two very good distinctions to these countries. France, on the one hand, where there's really no God to speak of, and Israel, on the other hand, where, there's, where God is, is very much a, a part of the... The, the constitutional makeup of the country. And, and it circles back, as I've said, to the founding fathers. Our founding fathers said, look, this, this free market democracy, uh, republic idea is, is all good and well. But just remember one thing. It won't work unless you have God in it. Okay? I mean, it's like that U2 song that I love so much. He said, uh, they say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Right? Sung by Johnny Cash, by the way. And it's such a brilliant point. So many people want the kingdom, but they don't want God anywhere close to it. They want it all. They want the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And they want a, a culture that, that, that God can, only God can provide. But they don't want God in it. It's just, it's just so funny. It's, they, don't, they, they, they put the cart before the horse and everything else. And look, I, I know so many of my my non-religious friends, my atheist friends who listen to this podcast and they'll say, wow, that, that Barak guy and his friend Ari, equally crazy. You know, they, they, just, they just don't get it. You know, I mean, say, what a shame. They've really gone off the rails. They're so weird. They're, they believe in this God myth. You know, what, what fools they are. Just look at them talk about God and everything else. And, you know, it's... And to you, my, my liberal friend who are saying, or my atheist friend or agnostic friend who says such a thing, I ask you point blank, look at all the governments that had God in it and compare them to the governments that did not have God in it and then decide whether or not we're really crazy. If you have God in your, in your culture, 
And I'm not talking about ISIS and, and all that stuff. Or okay? Iran. Yeah, Iran. These, these are crazy. Because we have our, I'm talking about the Judeo-Christian mindset, not the Islamic stuff. I, and we're not going to get into whether or not Islam is a valid religion and blah, blah, blah. And all. We're not going to get into that, okay? We are going to talk about the Judeo-Christian mindset. Where, the, where Judaism and Christianity have governed, governance has been much better. Okay? They've made mistakes, for sure. But nothing compared to the outright evil that we saw from Hitler, the Soviet Union, China, uh, and all the other countries, um, North Korea, that, that, that have done such unspeakable evils. Okay? So maybe we're not so crazy after all. Maybe. And we are simply pointing out that where you have God in the equation, free market capitalism can really thrive. I think they kind of go hand in hand in, in a way. Because, uh, you know, when you, when you believe in God, when you have God as part of your culture, it allows you to, to really branch out and do right upon your customers, your clients and such. Because, you know, frankly, you need honesty and integrity in the business world. And if you don't have God in it and you just hope that, that people will be act nicely to each other, well, that you're being Pollyannish. People will just rob and steal because they feel they, like they can. And if the only thing that, the only thing that stops them is the law, well, then, then you have to have a government that basically imposes all these rules. And hence, you have socialism. That's why. Okay, so maybe Ari and I are not that crazy. In fact, I think we could go one step beyond the Judeo-Christian tradition. Get this. The listeners should ask themselves, let's compare apples to apples in an era of God or a, 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 an epoch of God. Let's compare Rome and Greece to the barbarian cultures they warred against. Roman Greece had no Christianity. Roman Greece had polytheism, Zeus and uh, Janus and Ares and Mars as their gods. But those were more moral more uh, civilized societies than the Visigoths and the Vandals that they warred with. Yeah, uh, th- that's absolutely true. It, it, so even, take Judeo-Christian. Right, that's right. Even, even the Romans had a sense of moral, uh, a moral template uh, with which worked. They, they valued honesty. They valued family. They valued uh, structure within the society where the adults... Accountability. And accountability. They, they valued uh, seniority and, and wisdom and things of this nature. Now, th- there were all sorts of problems with, with Rome, too. You could say, oh, well, you know, Brooke, they also valued slavery and such like that. And, and they liked those gladiator games. Okay, uh, sure. Uh, but th- you're talking about something that happened 2,000-plus years ago. And uh, they were wildly ahead of the societies that surrounded them at the time. Wildly ahead. So... Look, spirituality, um, a, a sense of account, accountability, like you said, to a higher being um, is everything. And that's what makes capitalism works. And, and this is the distinction that we're seeing in Israel. Um, and I, I have such great hope for Israel. It just gets better and better every year. And if, if you have not yet visited Israel yourself to see what I'm talking about, please do so. And you'll find it's a, it's there's there's a lot of secular stuff going on. It, there's no doubt about that. People walk around the streets, and a lot of men don't wear the kippot, 
the, the kippahs, the, the yarmulke that, that you see in, in religious, among religious men. And the women are, you know, that they dress like American women do and they, they go about with their nice fashions. But I'll tell you this, they do seem to dress much more appropriately in Israel. They don't, they don't walk around with bikinis. Um, they, there, there are very few tattoos in Israel. There's, it's just, you get this feeling like this is the way it was in the 50s and early 60s in America. And people know each other. Uh, and if, even if they don't know each other, they, they talk to each other as comfortably as if they know each other for, for years and years. Um, one of my friends will, will, said to me, look, we were in, a, in this area. It was this new area, the Tel Aviv Harbor, which is really just a stunning, stunning, fun place. Very kid-friendly. And, sh- and she said, you know, if, if my kid uh, suddenly got lost or I couldn't find my kid, I wouldn't worry as much as, as an American mother would. And so what do you mean? Because I know that every other parent that would be around that my kid would, would take care of him. They would, they would just find a way to get him to me. And uh, that we just don't have those same worries that, that other people do. It's, there's this, this cohesiveness, this sense of accountability that you just don't have to worry about. Um, in Israel, that and and you would have to worry about elsewhere. It's and, just and unlike France, there's probably no laws mandating it. It happens because of the values and the culture of the people, because they feel empowered and confident in themselves. That's right. They don't need to be told it by every cop on the corner or by the city leaders. Or yeah, the, the and, president. And Israelis wouldn't stand for it. They would say, "Who who the f do you think you are telling me this?" I mean, they, they, there's a the, the Israelis are such a tough people in, in the best way possible. Uh, you'd like them. Uh, every one of you listening would like them. There's, they, they're, um, they're, they're just down to brass tactics. They want to get to the point, and if they see something that doesn't make sense, they'll say, no, I'm not going to follow that rule. Israelis will follow the law so long as it's reasonable. And so you have a very uh, reasonable set of rules out there. Now, of course, there are exceptions and such. Um, the only thing I want to change in Israel... And this is the only gripe I have with Israel. There's no right turn on red. <laughs> I want right turn on red. And the traffic lights uh, are just, the, the red lights are just too long. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in the most rural area in, in, uh, in, in Israel. The lights just seem to last for a long time and you have to wait, wait, wait. But that's, that's, uh, that's my only gripe with Israel. Look, um, I want to talk about about uh, some interesting things that are happening. And, you know, I, I, since we are talking about Israel, something's fascinating. Um, you know, you hear the, all this talk about Israelis and Arabs and, and Islamophobia and all this stuff, right? And people say that if, that if you mock Islam, then you're being racist, right? You've heard this. And Ben Affleck had this recent encounter with uh, Bill Maher on his show. And Bill Maher, to his credit, was saying, look, you know, we really need to challenge Islam. It's, uh, if, you, if you are a liberal, you need to be uh, espousing liberal values that, you, lib- values that you claim to be liberal. Yeah, you need to be as hard on Islam as you are on Christianity. Yeah. Both are wrong. Right. Well, in, in this day and age, you need to be much harder on Islam than Christianity because Christianity doesn't, that doesn't do the things that you claim it does. I mean, you're just darn wrong about this stuff. Well, that's stuff. what I mean. If you're going to call out Christianity for X, Y, Z, yeah. then you should 
at least. Be well, the reason why they're not calling them Ari is because they're cowards. That's right. why. Because they know that if they actually um, have an opinion piece in the New York Times saying there's something really evil with Islam, they're worried about being killed. That's the reason why. Yes. They're, they're a bunch yeah. of losers. They're, they're cowards. Because it's plain as day. If you, if, you don't need to be told this. It's not as if I'm revealing a secret here when I say that Islam is terrible for women, it's terrible for gays, it's terrible for minorities, uh, and it's, it's terrible for anybody who doesn't think exactly like, like the governing body does. You're a dead person if you're gay. And if it's supposedly all you liberals who love gay marriage and stuff like that, I would think that you would think that that's inconsistent with liberal values. But no. No, you, you somehow embrace these, these monsters, these, these killers of gay people, these people that, that want to, to keep women you know, ensconced in their kitchens and to never go out without a male companion who is actually directly related to them. What, what's the matter with you people? Don't you get this? Right? So anyway, but no, no, if I've, if I'm, I'm being a racist, you understand, by, by challenging the Islamic culture. And that's what exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm challenging the Islamic culture, right? And the religion to the extent that it, that it informs the culture. That's what I'm doing. But racism means there's something associated with your race, right? Well, if that's the case, my friends, there are many Arab Christians. Not just in Israel. All over the Arab world. And they're, they're being tossed out. But, but before then, guess what? They weren't doing any of these horrific crimes upon women or gays. They didn't have this crazy system where if you were an Arab Christian woman, somehow you were not allowed to go out on the streets. And if you were gay in, in, in uh, the Arab Christian world, you weren't killed as a result of that. How do you explain that? They're exactly the same race. I, 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 is that racism? Of course not. It just proves how idiotic that argument is. It's totally idiotic. But it's, it's like that's all they have to argue. They, they keep on throwing out the racism charge so that, that you'll be afraid to say anything about Islam. In the meantime, Islam you know, marches on merrily uh, throughout uh, the Middle East, uh, knocking on the doors of uh, the Golan Heights near Israel and uh, doing horrific things. It's uh, like we were talking about with the Ebola earlier. It's distraction. The yeah. racism charge. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's yelling squirrel in a crowded theater. Yeah, a squirrel. It, 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 that's right. It, it means nothing, and yet um, it's it's a way of getting everyone to heal somehow. And uh, they think they're all being very smart by saying racism, but but you're just wrong. It's so. And again, I'm not divulging a great secret, am I? I mean, if you just look at the reality, the Arab Christians don't do this, but they're Arabs, so. That they're not a different race. Yeah, isn't Arab the race, not Islam yeah, the race? Yeah, exactly right. And by the way, that I mean, some people even argue that um, uh, a lot of the Israelis are the same "quote unquote" race as the uh, the Arab neighbors that they have. Although, frankly, you know, after two thousand years, they've mingled so much with the European culture and European people that you could say that they're different people at some point. But, but I digress. From a Semitic point of view. Um, they really are the same people. They just have different ideologies. And, and that's what matters. The, you know, your, your value set determines how you prevail in life, right? He, and and the, the Jews in Israel and the Arab Christians in Israel, they embrace life. They want to move forward with life. They, they believe in, in progress and, and 
of justice and the rule of law and innovation and such. And you can see that. You go to Israel, and there it is. right? You cross the border into Egypt, and you see madness. You see decay. You see death. Yeah, squalor and rubble. Yeah. And, and that's the reason why, folks. It's the culture that they have embraced. They've chosen this culture. The Israelis have not. The, the, and, and all you need to do to, see, to understand the entire Middle East situation is to take a bus from Cairo to Tel Aviv. You can still do that today. Take that bus, and you will understand everything you need to know about the Middle East. Yeah, and by the way, wouldn't it be ironic if they actually called the racism charge what it would be if it was racism, meaning if we imposed Islam on those people? Yeah, that's right. Because by saying you are an Arab, you must be a Muslim? Oh, I see. I see what you're saying, yeah. It, it, it would be just... It, it, the the uh, shallowness that they accuse us of is exactly what they are actually doing, right? Yeah. So these people are very funny. Um, it's it's like really dealing with zombies. We've we had a previous podcast on this, and and it's uh, they think like zombies. Uh, that's the only way. It's as irrational as a zombie. How would you how, you would not talk to a zombie and say, "Look, let's 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 talk this out." I mean, I ah. see, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Let, let's talk that, Mister Zombie. I see that you want. Uh, my arm to eat. Uh. Okay, man. <laughs> All right. You sound like a cow, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> you don't have a big sound effect budget. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I'm working with that guy. <laughs> I can't work under these conditions. Uh. But listen, listen. Um, you, you, you can't talk to a, a Mr. Zombie and say, "Look, I see that you want to eat my my arm, but can we talk here? Because I, I I want to convince you. I want to show you that eating arms doesn't make sense. There's so much better food out there for you, and uh, and really, you know, vegetables are better for you, and and you know, you should go vegan for that matter. And and if you are going to eat meat, well, why don't you eat a different species, like a cow, right, or a chicken and such, and uh, everyone will be happy. We can all get along." And and uh, the zombie will look at you and just say, brains, right? And start, you know, it's still going after you. It doesn't matter what you're saying. There's no logic here. But that's, that's, that's what we're surrounded by, this, this zombie-like mentality. You, you can't bust through. You, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've said it twice already before. It's like I'm not giving away a secret when I say that, that Arabic culture, and especially Muslim Arab culture, is horrific for gays and for women and for anybody who doesn't think exactly like them. I'm not divulging anything secret here, right? But, but you can tell this to these people, and they still just they act like zombies. And they'll still say, racism, you know, right? I mean, <laughs> they'll say, you know, you're greedy. <laughs> War on women. War on women. Right? I mean, it's like, okay, minimum wage. <laughs> this is what we have. But this is what we have to deal with. This is it. And 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 for for you conservatives out there listening, isn't this what you're experiencing with your liberal friends? It's so frustrating. But don't worry. You're just dealing with zombies. Once you understand that, you're a okay. You're okay. Here's the good news, by the way. Uh, unlike, you know, because every analogy falls apart, uh, in, in, in the examples of liberals versus conservatives, when a liberal zombie becomes a conservative, they, they can get healed. They become a regular person. 
And, they, and, and yeah, Ari's pointing to himself, and to some extent, I'm pointing to myself. Uh, we'll never go back, right? I mean, it's, it's just impossible for us to go back. Um, it's, it's, in a way, it's like, I don't know. It's, I can't give too many good examples of this. But it's like me going back to um, listening. I love music, right? To listen to 8-track tapes. I, I'm just not going to do that. I, you know, the digital sound is much more uh, enhanced and it's better. That's the way it's going to be. Or going going back to black and white TV. I would never go back there. Low def TV. A low def TV. Or for me, going back from plasma to LED TVs. I'm never doing that again. All right, that's another topic for another podcast, I suppose. Don't worry, folks. But, we won't. Don't worry. Oh, going back to the dark ages. Yeah, it's right. it just why would you? Why we'll never go back there. And so it's so rare to have a conservative become a liberal. I mean, I'm sure there are some. But you really have to kind of embrace zombie ideology. It, just, it doesn't make any sense. Liberals, however, can become conservatives, and they stay there. And, in fact, in, some, in many ways, they're the best conservatives because they understand how liberals think. Uh, what's his name? The, the great guy, David Horowitz. Uh, Horowitz. He's such a great example of that. Uh, he, he was raised by communists, I mean, it, and, and they would be shocked, shocked that he had become such a conservative in, in his uh, older years. But that's the way it is. And, and why, why do we bring this up? Because, um, you know, Andrew, what was it, Andrew Cuomo? Yeah. Okay, not his father, Mario Cuomo. Right, he's not and, with us anymore. Okay, so Andrew Cuomo said recently, he, he was toasting the, um, the, the, the Chinese Communist Party's uh, 50th anniversary and saying how, how great it was. Like, for, for real? Are you, are you actually yeah, saying this? Toasting these? Mao's victory. Mao's victory, yeah. So... How how could you possibly uh, give a toast to this to this monster who who killed far more people, by the way, than the Stalin and Hitler combined? So you can you can only believe that if you're a zombie. That's that was the one thing that finally made sense to me. He's a zombie. There you go. And we're surrounded by zombies, and we have to constantly worry about not us being infected. We're immunized. We're one of those, you know, to, to make the analogy perfect, right? You know, in all those movies where they become zombies of some kind or the other, uh, you know, we somehow have uh, the immunity toward that particular thing. And that immunity is conservatism, right? But there are a lot of other people who, who could be zombies, right? Our children, for example, they could, they could be zombie-eyed, zombified or whatever you want. Uh, by this, by, by the stupidity of liberalism, because and, and I'm sorry, folks, if you get insulted, but liberalism, it's just childish. Okay, yeah, it, it really. Thank you. It really is. It's just, I, I mean, really, you believe this stuff? I've, if you know any history at all, and, and 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 you, when I confront you, and a lot of you, you know, out there, you've heard me on my radio show, and I've I've confronted you. I've said, please show me one liberal policy that's worked. And, and you stutter because you don't know a single one. You just assume there is one. That's the funny thing because some guy that you know who you really respect is a liberal and you think that he would be able to answer me really well. Uh, but you should ask him, hey, what, what, which one of our policies, we liberals, you know, I want to answer this Barack Lurie guy. You know, he, he sure is arrogant. He, he goes on that radio show and his podcast and he says that he knows the what for and, and that liberal policies have not worked. Surely he's wrong. <laughs> Tell me how he's wrong. <laughs> and, and, you, and, and you'll hear nothing. 
right? They'll say, oh, Social Security at work. Oh, really? That Ponzi scheme that you're talking about, that, that, that's what you call working? Social Security? Uh, affirmative action was a great thing. Really? Really? Oh, oh, the, the, the black plight is, is worse than it's ever been, and you say that's a victory? Tell me how that's working. The national parks. National parks? Oh, oh, that's great. You mean like Central Park and all that stuff, which had to be privatized, and now that's the reason why it's doing so well? The national parks, that, by the way, all have signs everywhere. Don't feed the animals or they'll become dependent on you. Well, no, but not only that, but they're, they're dangerous places, right. the national parks. So, <laughs> it's I mean, when you come to dump a body. Yeah, it's it. You you just okay. Not uh, that I'm going to do it, but you know. Yeah, but but I mean, I, we we can go into detail, great detail. But they won't be able to to point to anything that with with actual factual basis. I mean, they can they can say liberal policies and, and claim that they work, but they won't have any basis for saying that they work. What are you going to say? The New Deal was was a great deal and it worked. Are, are you serious? You know, for for. Twelve years, it just led to worse and worse depression, and you, you're saying it's worked. How can you say that with a straight face? Yeah, and these are, by the way, people who are so willing to pull out of Iraq that they'll give a victory to defeat. But after fifty some odd years, they're still fighting the war on poverty, which and poverty won. Yeah, for, for poverty sure. is marching through our streets victorious, and we won't end that war. That's it. That's you know, this is what you have to deal with. So, my friends. Really, if, if you embrace liberalism, you're you're embracing a childish. Okay, well, childish at the worst, right? I mean, that's an, I can see that somebody would be insulted by that. Be insulted if you want, but you are being childish if you believe it. Okay, it, it's just plain and simple. It's 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 just stupid. You know, there there are many theories that have come and gone through the ages that are stupid. You know, existentialism, right? It's come and gone. Okay, doesn't work. Communism doesn't work. Okay. But guess what? Liberalism also doesn't work. It's just a, a flawed ideology. It sounds nice on paper, but it's just purely flawed. It, it just doesn't work in any possible way that you can think of. Conservatism works. God works. And I can, we can show you that till the cows come home. And certainly in the battle between God on the one hand, sorry, God and, and uh, capitalism on the one hand, and atheism and liberalism on the other hand, uh, God and capitalism always wins. Always. Well, folks, I think we've talked a lot about today and uh, very interesting topics. This is Barack Lurie. This is the Barack Lurie Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.